Before today's topic, a quick disclaimer. The stories and data we share come from the states that we practice in and the experiences we personally had, which can differ greatly across our country and certainly the globe. This is not a professional advice show. So get comfy and let's discuss death. This episode, we will be talking about suicide, themes of suicide, racism, and sexism. If these topics make you uncomfortable, please pass up this episode. Welcome to Mort Mike, a down-to-earth discussion on death and dying. I'm Jem. And I'm Red, and we are your morbidly marginalized this week. A common theme that is often mentioned when talking about equality is the single fact that everyone will die. No matter your skin color, religious beliefs, sexual and gender identity, we all will one day cease to exist and dwindle down one way or another to the spooky skeletons hiding inside uh, our varying meat suits. <laughs> So the death care industry should be pretty aware of this fact, right? And therefore completely in sync with equality, equity, and the fair treatment of all people involved, right? Well, unfortunately, that's not always the case. Historically, the funeral profession and even forensics is painfully conservative and backwards in many social issues that have gained acceptance and protection in our modern era. Uh, if we think about this, you know, who owns funeral homes? It's not, you know, the hip young kids like bringing all of this like new widely accepted culture to the table. It's old white guys, yeah. usually, Sorry. or just old guys in general. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to any old white guys that uh, own funeral homes and listen to our <laughs> podcast and are really cool. But, you know, me and Red are not this. So I am a, uh, what am I? <laughs> 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 I am a young, white, gender nonconforming, uh, non-heterosexual person. Um, so clearly, I am not, you know, in the vein of these people that own funeral homes that are usually pretty high up in the uh, forensics and uh, death industry. And likewise for myself, I am a white, cis female, uh, also young and bisexual I don't know why I said it that way, but I said it that way. <laughs> it's just like doing a dating profile right now. <laughs> so anyone listening? No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, but uh, our our experience in life is widely different from the experiences of people who have, you know, grown up in a family funeral. Uh, you know, funeral homes are often very like religious based due to death culture and stuff like this. And uh, so, you know, it kind of goes hand in hand that the people who own these businesses are conservative. Uh, you know, they're usually like pretty well off money wise. Like, um, and, you know, unfortunately, um, some of their more conservative views um, kind of translate into their business and have sort of held back uh, the funeral industry in terms of like forward thinking, I think. I agree. Yeah, the funeral service has been so cookie cutter for so long 
<clears throat> just in what we offer families, really. Uh, but it's just like it's just it's rooted in tradition. It, funeral homes are just rooted in tradition. Funeral services. And yeah, it's it's due in part to the people that are the ones that own the businesses. They they get kind of stuck in their ways. Mm-hmm. Um, not until recently, actually, uh, women working in the funeral industry was not a thing. This was a man's job. Is that right, Red? Yeah, uh, very correct. There, uh, some of the female directors that I've I've had the privilege to work with, um, they have been say in funeral service five, ten some even up to like 20 years and they were the only woman in their mortuary science class like the only one which is is crazy to me like to think about that that would be awful having to be in a boys club like that yeah it was really a boys club um but like i said recently i think a lot more women have been coming into the industry and this just makes sense due to like you know uh compassion and like you know i want to say like maternal instincts to like take care of people and stuff like this but uh, really all before this it was very just like this is a man's job my son's son's son is going to own this funeral home when I die uh, and that's just kind of how it's been so you can see how this makes for a really like conservative background yeah I mean even some funeral homes have the name it's in the name it's like so-and-so and sons like that's that's yeah. literally <laughs> the name of the funeral home <laughs> like... yeah it's very very common but but it is nice that we are going in a direction that it's being in more inclusive to women. Like my my graduating class, I want to say we are either fifty fifty or actually leaned a little more heavier onto like the woman's side, um, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt very welcome in that respect. Yeah, I was gonna say in my um, mortuary science class, I think there are more uh, more females than there were males in that class. Yeah, and all of the males that were in class were essentially just, you know, legacies, people whose parents owned funeral homes. So all of the women were first gens, people that, uh, when I say first gen, that meaning that we are the first people in our family to do this, not coming from a family lineage that right. is in funeral service. Right, right. And I think another common theme in, like, funeral homes that kind of... So if you're like a lot of work in the in the funeral home is very like labor intensive and very like heavy lifting kind of stuff like you're lifting dead bodies. And this is like, you know, you're getting dirty, like death is kind of like not uh, a pro- it's not like polite, I guess. So I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of this is like, oh, this is like leave it to the boys. You know what I mean? Like it's right. it's it's I think that it's a job where women are put to the test in a way like you know oh can you do what the boys do kind of thing have you ever experienced this red oh boy jim (laughs) boy have i (laughs) it's it's rough out here um i I will say i will say this um i've worked at three funeral homes i've had a lot of different experiences at all of them i will say from the people that i have worked with like my coworkers and owners um i have been treated very well like based on like my gender it's it's society that really, really um, does it for me. So, unfortunately, mm-hmm. my coworkers haven't, you know, tested me out and been like, okay, like, send the girl to do this, see if she can do it. Um, it's been more like, hey, I, I go do a transfer from a hospital, which normally you'd only ever send one person anyway. And I show up and the security guard's just like, they, they, they sent you? They only <laughs> sent you? Is your, you know, buddy coming in here in a second? Is he out in the car? And I'm just like, 
no guy it's it's me yeah like <laughs> and i i have definitely almost hurt myself doing transfers uh for that reason because i got a chip on my shoulder and i'm just like oh, I'll, I'll show him yeah i'll, I'll sling him. this body <laughs> with yeah. extra theatrics and almost pull my back out <laughs> uh-huh yeah, no, I, I definitely get that for sure. Uh, being a, a a small little, uh, not straight boy, I get I get stuff like that all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lot the, not always verbal judgment, but the eyes say a lot more than words ever can sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I also I also get the. Uh, like if I'm waiting at the door, you know, for uh, a family come in for an arrangement, I'll get the oh yeah, I'm here to see the director, and I'm like, I I am the director, like that's, here I am, that, that is me, <laughs> surprise. Oh yeah, yeah, I can imagine it's kind of like where they might see you and expect that you're like a secretary or something, mm-hmm. and they're looking for the man funeral director, <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly, and that actually that happened to me when I was a uh, I was just a youth fledgling director um recently licensed and uh, we worked like all the visitations at my funeral home there and uh i was working with a buddy um that was considerably like twice twice my age if not more um and he was actually an apprentice Uh, he had just started his apprenticeship to become a funeral director and Mm -hmm. so like i were swinging door and like the families go straight to him and they were even asking like oh oh so are you the owner oh uh i need to ask the funeral director something and all oh this stuff gosh. and he would like literally just like point at me standing right next to him this this this, this fresh faced little little funeral director hello so i mean granted like that's kind of like an ageist thing too because yeah. um it's it's gotten better cuz that was like what six years ago now like mm-hmm. now that i'm in my late 20s like it's happening less and less but when i was young oh god it was so bad people just think that you know nothing they don't trust you they put you under like a, a much like harder microscope than any other yeah. like aged person they, they, it's like they almost want you to mess up like they're trying to confirm some type of like discriminatory like stereotypes in their head that like kids can't do anything this is so true. And you can imagine. So when I worked as a death investigator, I was, uh, yeah, I was like in my mid early mid twenties and imagine just like me, like showing up to a, like a crime scene with like police officers and like detectives and like all of these, like, you know, seasoned, like worked in the force for 50 years. And, you know, here I come like bounding up with a clipboard and they're like, who is this person? Like, who right. let this child in here? <laughs> I had I definitely had to to work really hard to get respected in that in that way and it you know I have older coworkers who I feel just kind of got the respect instantly um so I definitely there's definitely a lot of that in the death industry as well I would highly suggest to anybody who can grow facial hair like do it uh it helps <laughs> it helps a little bit with this problem <laughs> when you're new <laughs> That's so funny um, but, you know, thankfully it is getting a little better in terms of, uh, you know, general sexism with employees and uh, uh, ageism. I mean, like like I said, I'm, I've been pretty fortunate in mine, but I've, I've heard from other funeral director friends, you know, that they like were starting out like a woman starting off as a funeral director and were basically treated like secretaries and like coffee grabbers, like by yeah. their their owners and, and their managers, which is like 
you went to like school, you went to college, the same education as like the other male directors, and you're just not put on cases. You're not given families. It's it's it it does exist out there still. I'm I'm just very fortunate that it that hasn't happened that much to me within my own like confines of the funeral home and and my coworkers. Another unfortunate part of funeral home history that we still see pretty frequently today is the general segregation that happens in funeral homes. Um, I think anywhere you look, especially in uh, um, literally anywhere, you have uh, white funeral homes and you have black funeral homes. And this isn't something that is law this definitely isn't something like if you if your family member dies and you go to a funeral home that predominantly takes care of pocs um that's not like you can do that but i think it's just it comes from you know a religious base that funeral homes are based on um and it comes from community so say like your uh, friend's dad dies and doesn't know what to do, well, you're going to tell them the funeral home that you use that you like because that's like part of a community thing. That's how people kind of find funeral homes, I feel, more than ever. And like, yeah, like you said, it's not it's not wrong by any means that there are like funeral homes that specifically I mean, there's there's Jewish funeral homes. There's there's like Muslim funeral homes, like mm-hmm. in, in certain ways, like different cultures uh, celebrate their dead differently. So that funeral home is going to be more apt to be able to take care of specific needs from the community they serve, for sure. But at the same time, I think that this can get dangerous when, like, because I've seen it at funeral homes that I've worked at, for sure, if we all of a sudden get, like, a call for a religion or, like, a, a community that we don't normally serve, like, the directors are just, they, they are just, like, they don't know what to do. Like, they have no idea what to do. Like, um, I remember just, like, last year, um, a family of mine um, wanted an obituary, which is, like, a, a in the African-American community, that that's, like, it's a much different thing than, like, a prayer card or, like, a memorial folder. Uh, it's, like, a, a really big, like, basically brochure-style, like, huge... Uh, like oh, it's got of course the obituary in it but like talks goes I don't know why I'm explaining this as much as I am I don't need to be doing this um, but, but it's a very very specific uh, piece of printing and when I tried to like I've, I've worked in in uh, funeral homes that have served African Americans before and I'm familiar with it and as soon as I brought it up to my printer and like anybody else they were like I have I have no idea what you're talking about I don't know what you want us to make at all and like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like that that kind of stuff happens all the time where like a, a good funeral home will accommodate you know when somebody you know brings in a different type of uh, culture and, and ask for a specific kind of service mm-hmm. but I'm sure there's funeral homes out there that just totally say nah we're not serving you we can't serve you for those reasons we can't we don't have the right facility we don't have the right, you know, staffing for like, I, I definitely think that that would be something that would happen. Yeah. And I think too, it's something to think about is that, you know, embalming people of a darker skin color is different. Um, mm-hmm. uh, doing like, you know, hair in a way that is, you know, appropriate or how the family wants it to be. Um, if you, you know, if you are uneducated and you don't want to educate yourself, like this is a problem and this is pretty common in funeral homes, uh, I think still today. Oh, absolutely. The amount of times that I have, uh, had to fix bodies that would come out of the care center that like the person was not white, but was basically it, it was always really sad because we only ever had like we had all these different pigments for like like white skin tones. But then mm-hmm. like we'd have like one for like this is the the black skin tone, like just one. 
yeah that's like ridiculous. one yeah one makeup that you can use where it's like that's not there there's a lot of different shades you got to be like worried about for that you can't just use one fits all like yeah absolutely mm. and then of course um race in forensics and like you know dealing with cops and race like we don't need to talk about that right now but i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine um how that sort of affects you know my part of the job and having to navigate that there is a lot of um I guess like stereotyping a lot of assumptions about a person just based on their skin color and maybe their community where they're from. It's really, really unfortunate. Even in, you know, I, I worked with people that I liked and I trusted, but you know, even sometimes uh, who would still even sometimes um, be judgmental in this way, which is just really, um, you know, unfortunate i don't know <laughs> it's bad it's bad racism bad <laughs> yeah I've, I've experienced uh quite a bit of like racism from coworkers uh across every funeral home i've worked at like i, I honestly think like fortunately as i go like i'm getting into more progressive funeral homes but like my first one like we had a few uh black and latino people uh that worked for us but i feel like since some that's just because some of our rooftops were like in metro areas you know so mm -hmm. they wanted to kind of bridge to those communities mm -hmm. it, it kind of seemed more like a pr stunt than anything uh, but yeah um but yeah that that first funeral home i worked at there was this guy oh my god he he looked like uh, walt disney and he was just as racist and um I was on a transfer with him one day when I was when I was just starting out and we work in an area that like abutted a rich white suburb to a poor black suburb. And the changes you cross the dividing line, like it's, it's obvious. It's, it's like one of those places, like across mm -hmm. the train tracks kind of places. Mm -hmm. And um, as we were driving through this specific like this specific area, he started to say the thing and we all know where he's going with it man, this area used to be so nice and this is where I clenched my butt because I knew what's coming next. And he's like, until the blacks moved in. And I'm like, you, uh, you actually said that to another human being. Oh like, my God. I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't with, I, I just, I clammed up at that point. I was about to start screaming and I still had to finish the transfer with this guy. I, I had no idea what to do. And uh, like, we worked with black people, yeah. but it was, for him, it was like, well, there was one of the good ones, you know? <laughs> like, oh God. It's so disgusting. It's so awful. And it's just, I think to me, it's so crazy because like you're in death care, like you take care of people no matter what. And it's like, how can you be this way in your life while like having to take care of people? I don't know. I just don't, I will never understand. Neither will I. And like, I think, I think the worst, the worst situation that I had been in, uh, in regards to, to racism in a funeral home was uh, my second funeral home and I was like having a lunch uh, with a few of my coworkers, manager at the table and the um, housekeeper and they were talking about bad drivers and all of a sudden the the housekeeper she was like oh we, we worked in an area that had a really high population of like Arabic people mm -hmm. and uh, Muslims and she straight up straight up just says like oh they they drive like they're riding camels and like I, uh. 
I what had to I I couldn't finish my lunch. I got so like in front of a manager, mind you. Yeah, and they were laughing at it, and I just oh. I, I had to leave the table. And I like you know what I was like that was my my peak uh, Tumblr social justice days. So I was like you know what no 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to her. I'm gonna ask her to stay after her shift and talk to her about that. And yeah. I did, yeah. and it was the hardest conversation I ever had to have with somebody because. Um, yeah, like I sat her down. I'm like, hey, thanks for meeting with me. Uh, I just wanted to bring up like that comment you made was made me really uncomfortable. And like, honestly, if HR were to hear about that, like that would be a huge problem. Too bad we didn't have an HR department. Uh. But um, like she kind of flew off the handle about it because I was like, hey, man, I I have like Arabic friends. Like it hurts me to hear you say something negative. And she's like, well, I would never have said it if there was an Arabic person in front of me. I'm like, so you know it's wrong. Yeah. You said it anyway. Why do you say it? (laughs) Yeah. And then she just went into this whole like Fox News spiel Uh. about like, oh, how do you know your Arabic friends? You're actually your friends and not terror. Like what? I'm dude, like a real conversation I had with a human being. And like, I think the thing that really tops this all off is that she was an immigrant from Romania and it's just like uh, you as an immigrant talking like mad smack about like immigration policies and stuff like during this whole rant. I'm just like, I don't I don't understand. <laughs> like, I don't get it. Uh, I actually run a diversity initiative at my university and we have speakers um, from all different um, diverse you know, backgrounds and projects come talk to us. And we actually had this really, really interesting talk by this um, funeral home owner who owns a funeral home that mostly serves uh, POC and like Muslim communities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we ha- were able to ask him about, you know, uh, segregation that is still happening in funeral homes and, you know, how, like, he combats that or, like, what his thoughts were on that because he's, like, an owner of a funeral home that, like, is part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually gave some, like, really, like, hopeful and, like, inspiring answers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that there are people out there that are, like, doing good work against this. Like, he's talking about how he um, hired a trans worker who is not POC and is, like you know, treats them with respect and dignity and, you know, knows that they can handle the job. And like, that's really all that needs to be in consideration when, you know, we're talking about servicing different communities is that you just need to treat them with respect and we need to, you know, serve them to the best of our abilities with these cultural differences in mind. I don't know. I feel like it's really easy to do, but that's just me talking. Yeah, um, it, it seems so common sense to us, yeah. but not not everyone gets it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I know it's really hard, too, if you are... I know that there are some people that listen to the podcast that are from an area that is like predominantly white, and they just don't have exposure to... Um, these communities and these different religions, um, I know that it's difficult, but it's also just as easy to Google something or read a Wikipedia page right now. Um, I think that if you are in the death industry and you love taking care of people and you love your job, you should do the work to educate yourself. And even if you don't always serve, you know, these communities or you don't do a, a certain religion's funeral, um, ceremonies, you can still just know about it. And I think it would give you just kind of like a better overall, like level of acceptance and like respect. That was really profound, Jim. <laughs> Nailing that, I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sorry, I'm just like super passionate about this kind of stuff. No, it's so great. <laughs> I love that. So a big thing that I actually wanted to talk about um, and kind of focus on this episode was um, trans identities and trans people uh, in regards to uh, discrimination, identity erasure, and things like this in funeral homes and the death industry, because this is something that I have personally dealt with um, a lot and something that I'm really interested in and invested in. So I think that... I'm not really sure if this is like a popular news story or not, but back in 2014, there was this uh, trans girl that um, uh, killed herself and her, you know, main reason for doing so was because her parents didn't accept her identity and um, they sent her to like conversion therapy and isolated her from all her friends Mm -hmm. and stuff like this. Um, But her name was Leela Alcorn. I don't know if you heard about this, Red. I actually haven't. So she was assigned male at birth, but she was a trans woman. And she um, came out to her family when she was 14 years old, but they were super religious and they just didn't believe in it. Um, They tried to send her to conversion therapy. Um, They cut her off from social media. They took her out of school. So basically she was on uh, Tumblr. So she's like posting, you know, about her life. And then um, in December of two, uh, 2014, she uh, posts that she was going to kill herself, uh, posts a suicide note. And then a story comes out in the news the next day uh, that she was hit on the interstate by a semi-truck. Um, and it actually took a while to for the medical examiner to determine if it was suicide or um, accident. So originally what happened was that uh, her family came out saying like, oh, my, you know, quote unquote son was uh, hit by hit by a truck on an early morning jog. This was like at 2 a.m. Like it's not it wasn't just like, oh, I'm just going to take a walk on the interstate at 2 a.m. to like get hit by a semi truck, Um, you know, and she had a suicide note, which is obviously really telling. That's a suicide note actually is um, a piece of evidence that the medical examiner can use to determine, like, legally if it's a suicide or an accident. Suicide note actually is something that is, like, legally evident, which is, you know, you would think that they would just, like, that's not legal or legitimate, but Mm -hmm. it is. And so part of the part of the story is because it was so big on Tumblr, um, uh, she posted her suicide note on Tumblr, and it got reposted, like, a ton. It gained a lot of attention um, in the trans community, and one of the big concerns was that her family didn't accept her identity, so they were going to bury her in a suit and, you know, mm-hmm. dead name her and uh, uh, misgender her uh, for the whole thing. And that was it kind of it kind of brings up this issue of like, OK, if uh, these trans individuals identify as who they are and they have a different gender identity but then their family doesn't accept them they have to go through funeral ceremonies like basically being insulted the entire time it's super disrespectful it it, it, yeah it really really is but you know the thing that i kind of wanted to talk to you about red is that like if this was the case the family is paying for the funeral they kind of have the say and there's really like nothing that anyone can do right yeah, essentially, you are correct. Um, <clears throat> basically, uh, you 
when someone passes away, their next of kin has all of the rights to the arrangements that uh, are made. And so if you're not on good terms with your family or your family, in, in like in Leela's case, uh, chooses to be disrespectful and to denounce a part of somebody, like their identity, they can do whatever they want. And that it, it's it makes my heart sad to say that, especially now that this is becoming more of a prevalent thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, this I, and I will always plug for this. I'm always going to plug for this. And this is also uh, especially helpful with like same-sex marriages um, or if like there's a, a couple that never gets married um, or it just feels like they can't for whatever reason. Yet again, like the next of kin will not be your partner. They're, not all places have that like common law thing, and that's not always uh, taken like legally. We can't even necessarily use that depending on the state you're in uh, mm-hmm. as a next of kin, proof mm-hmm. of next of kin. So you need to get the funeral representative paperwork signed. That way you can designate anybody that you want. It could be a friend. It could be whoever, a family member that actually respects you and your life and your identity and assign them the rights to make arrangements for you when you pass away. So that way you won't be disrespected. You can actually have a service that's have a service that's true to who you are. Mm. Yeah. Even if you're young, even if you're young, because unfortunately, like I know we don't like to think about it, but it could, you could die at any time for any reason, whatever it may be. Um, if you and you can have this form say you're like 18 years old and your family hates you like you can have a form like this you totally can it's totally legal um so yeah just look into it there is this really interesting project that is also from my work with my diversity initiative at my university called the trans doe project um and this is something i've never heard of before this year so i was actually really excited to find out about this but this is a dna um research project um, that's focusing on finding the identities of missing people that have markers of trans identity. So think of like back in the 60s and 70s where there wasn't uh, DNA technology or anything like this for, you know, crime scenes, murders, homicides, accidents. Um, People would be reported as missing Mm-hmm. under their trans identities so say like a trans woman uh she would be reported missing with certain descriptors because that's how her friends would know her um or you know a lot of the times trans people wouldn't be reported missing at all because of the stigma against trans people mm-hmm. back in those days um and matching them up with cases of unidentified individuals that have markers of these trans individuals, but they were reported by police as, you know, male or something like this. Does right. that make sense? Yeah. No, that's incredible. Like, what Isn't an that amazing really cool? project. <laughs> yeah. And they're doing, like, good work. I think the last time I talked to them, they had, like, a 100, over 100 cases they were working on. And they're actually finding identities for these um, unidentified, you know, missing individuals, missing persons that you know, have kind of fallen to cold cases because, you know, they're trans individuals. They, you know, were, what's the word? Essentially mm. the less dead. Yeah. As they call it. Yeah. So I thought I thought that was really cool. And they're accepting volunteer help. So I know that a lot of people are interested in like cold case files. So if you go onto their website, if you Google trans doe project, kind of like, you know, John Doe, Jane Doe, um 
you can find where they're at and what they're doing. And they have a whole map of like all their cases that they're working on. It's really, really cool. Or if you have any, like if you have any information about like unidentified trans individuals, you can submit your case to them. It's really cool. And as you can imagine, there is a lot of discrimination just in general against LGBT people in the funeral and uh, death industry. Like we talked about before with sexism, ageism, racism, it's all the same with LGBT people too. A transgender woman named Amy Stevens was a employee at a funeral home. She, When she went to work, she appeared as a man um, just to you know, have a job and like protect her career because that's something a lot of trans people have to deal with. Um, But in 2019, I think it was, she came out to her employer as trans and informed her employer that she was going to be uh, wearing women's clothing and identifying as her, um, as her true self. And her employer, this funeral home uh, fired her for that Mm. reason. And that's, you know, illegal now but back then it wasn't um really so they um she actually you know sued the funeral home over this and her case was dismissed because the judge felt that the funeral home owner's religious beliefs were more important than you know her identity and her job basically (laughs) Um, just another reminder of that uh, separation of church and state is not alive and well (laughs) mm -hmm. literally said that in an article it was like the the judge thought that his religious beliefs were more important i was like what like uh, uh, it hurts um and you know the case was appealed by the aclu and they actually won the appeal, which is really, really great. But oh, unfortunately, yeah. Amy Stevens uh, passed away due to renal failure before her case was decided. Mm. Sad. But justice really for Amy, very happy to see that. And, you know, like I've had my share of discrimination as well. Um, being part of the LGBT community, I keep that part of myself very hidden um when i when i worked in funeral homes i never ever talked about that stuff ever and i quote unquote like played the part of like a cis straight person because i was scared to lose my job and i was scared to be discriminated against um obviously if you've been i don't know listening to me talk for the past 22 episodes I think a lot of the times people assume that I'm gay just from how I act and how I talk. This was exactly what one of my managers did, even though I never, ever, ever, ever talked about my sexual identity or gender identity or anything like this. Mm-hmm. So I worked at this funeral home for uh, a long, long time, and I wanted to be their apprentice. And this was right after I graduated mortuary science school, right after I passed the national board. So at this point, I've already passed the board exam. And I kept asking them and asking them. Um, they were the only people that hired me. It was took me a really, really long time to find a job. And I think part of it was because of the my mannerisms. Um, mm-hmm. But that's just maybe internalized. Um, I'm not sure. But anyway, so I got this job. I worked there for a long time just as like an attendant. I did transfers. I did like makeup work. I did uh, visitation. And I kept asking them. I wanted to be their apprentice. Then they hired someone else who was fresh out of Mortsai school and failed their board exams. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> what the hell? 
uh, what is happening? Why won't you hire me as your apprentice? Mm -hmm. And I ended up quitting. Um, I had a friend that worked there. So after I quit, she came forward and she was like, hey, I just wanted to let you know that like our manager um, basically didn't feel comfortable around you because he thought you were gay. So they didn't want to hire me as an apprentice. And that was like, that's never happened to me before. I've never been discriminated against like that so openly. And it was just such an eye opener to me. And, you know, honestly, not to be like, uh, not to like bash the funeral industry or anything. Like I love you guys, but that is the reason why I decided to stop and go into forensics instead. Mm-hmm. I mean, after a situation like that, like, gosh, you're such a dangerous <laughs> person, Jim. I don't feel comfortable around you. Like that's uh, what kind of insecurity that guy has. Yeah, and I am very good oh. at my job. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> I was a I was a delight to work with. <laughs> They're really missing out. They were fools. <laughs> fools in men's clothing. But yeah, having to deal with that, you know, personally, like face to face, it was just like, you know, there's work that needs to be done. And I think that's why, obviously, because I am part of the LGBT community, um, but also that experience is why I'm so passionate about this kind of stuff. I think it's so important. So something that I actually was uh, having some questions and curiosities about is that, you know, if somebody is trans, um, when it comes time to have the death certificate uh, filled and signed, um, uh, there's a box for gender on there. uh, And like how how what can you just put any gender in there or how does that how does that work? So we know that the death certificate is filled out by the medical examiner or like the doctor who is attending the death. And. I, you know, unfortunately, this is common theme, but it varies per state, right? So I, it depends also on like your doctor. And this is kind of an issue that is happening in the medical examiner community now too, is that say that you, uh, someone dies and they are identified as trans, but they're not, you know, medically transitioned or whatever. And the medical examiner you know, signs out their biological sex as whatever they were assigned at birth, that's what's going on the death certificate. Mm. If your attending doctor is, like, with you and knows that you're trans, they can put your identifying gender on the death certificate. They just have to sign it and, like, you know, they're basically signing that, yes, you are what you identify as. Because it really doesn't matter, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it I don't doesn't. see why it's a it piece would. Of paper. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's really, I think, and I I don't have, I haven't looked this up, so like don't uh, don't take my word on this. But from what I know with like medical examiner law, is that whatever the medical examiner puts on there in signs is like what it's gonna say. So I know that you guys can like, can you like edit? Um, uh, death certificates if there's like a misspelling or something like this so uh, it depends on what like if you have edrs and like every e- electronic death registry system is different too mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. not like a national one so like i know for ours currently like we type in all of the vitals and then send it to the doctor and mm-hmm. they can like digitally sign it or like whatever and they, that they're just signing and putting cause of death mm-hmm. so whatever gender we put in there that's what it would be put in as yeah um, but once like it's signed you can't change it you would have to it has to be signed as is okay i would say and don't i'm not a professional just disclaimer here don't this is not legal advice at all 
but I think you could just, you know, put whatever they identify as. And as long as the doctor signs it, like that's, that's it, you know, to change your gender, like in the system, like, you know, your social security gender or whatever <laughs> you, a lot of states are different. I think things are changing. Things are changing like within the past five years um, about like changing your gender marker. Um, in, in ye olden days, you used to have like a let have to get like a letter from a therapist and have that, like bring that to the to the um uh department of motor vehicles and like literally ask them to change your gender marker um but i think times are changing now so i'm I'm not really sure but that is really interesting but if you my my favorite thing is to uh yeah and in cases like this is asking for uh forgiveness instead of permission um i would do what the family wants or what the trans individual wants and then if it's wrong then there are ways to go about like fixing that it's not it's not a big deal it's a piece of paper you know what i mean not legal advice that's just what i would do (laughs) (laughs) welcome to not legal advice corner with Gemini. (laughs) it is true that times are changing and issues like racial sexual and gender discrimination are no longer kept hidden and swept under the proverbial rug George Floyd's murderer was found guilty. Amy Stevens received the justice she deserved, but there's still so, so much work to be done. Bias and discrimination from a place of ignorance and hate are still rampant in these professions that both Red and I love so, so much. There are so many people out there that are doing great work, but they need your help. Um, What exactly can you do? Maybe you don't have time or money or resources. What if you're not LGBT or a POC or a marginalized person at all? I'm white. More often than not, I'm assumed to be a cis man. Um, No matter what other things I have going on, I have these privileges, and I would never deny this. But instead of being ashamed or offended by blanket statements, I use my privilege to educate others. This is one thing that you can do that's free, it's easy, and it supports the struggle that so many people without your privilege have gone through. Old racist Grandpa Bill that owns the small town funeral home you're interning at isn't going to listen to the corrupt media or the Twitter rantings of a BLM advocate. He's going to listen to you. Whether he likes what he's hearing or not, he will hear the words. And sometimes that's all you can do. And you have no idea how much of an impact you might have until you try. And that's all for this week on Mort Mike. We'd love to connect with you guys on our socials. Like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at Mort Mike Podcast. That's M-O-R-T-M-I-C-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. It would mean a lot to hear your feedback or if you have any stories that you've experienced discrimination or adversity. We'd love to hear them. So please tell us what you think in a comment or drop us a rating on whatever podcast hosting site that you use. If you have any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear about or burning questions that you have about death, shoot us an email at mortmikepodcast at gmail.com. I also want to give a huge thank you to our friend Marcin for the use of his song titled Deputies of Death, which he produced just for our show. You can check out more of his music at Marson, that's M-A-R-S-O-N, music.bandcamp.com. Thanks, Marcin. And be sure to tune in every other week on Thursdays for some more casual discussions on death. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Mort Mike. Bye. Bye.